Hello and welcome to the Marvelous Duo. We are your hosts. I'm Matt. And I'm Kate. And today we are talking about Captain America, the first Avenger. Which was released in 2011. It has been 10 years. Just let that sink in. This movie starts with a Paramount logo, because it's still a Paramount movie, but it is also a Marvel Studios movie, which I don't remember if we saw in Thor. I wasn't paying attention. We start this movie off seeing what looks like researchers slash military people. Archaeologists, agents of something. I don't remember. I don't, I don't think they really say. Yeah. In vehicles in this very snowy, just a very snowy place. Somebody said they were looking for a weather balloon. Which was a lie. Yeah. And they find a very large object buried and decide to go inside, which is how all horror movies start. This movie does start like a horror movie, doesn't it? It does. Or like an alien sci-fi movie where like you find life that's been buried for a while. Which yeah. is essentially this movie. And they find a popsicle inside. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a capsicle, if you will. A capsicle. Yeah. Uh, but no, they find a chunk of ice, and through the ice they can see Captain America's shield. Indeed they can. And I don't remember what they say. Yeah, they want to call somebody because uh, this one's been on ice for a long time. Ghostbusters! Or something like that. Yes, they want to call <laughs> Ghostbusters. And then we fast forward to Norway. To Tonsberg, Norway. And if you were paying attention in our Thor episode, I told you... To remember Tonsberg, Norway, because Thor starts in it in the flashback talking about the Asgardians and the Jotuns. And in this one, we see that there is still a connection to Asgardians in Tonsberg, because that is where Johann Schmidt, the leader of Hydra, finds the Tesseract. Correct. This is back during World War II in 1942. David Bradley is protecting the cosmic cube <laughs> yeah it is actually something in the comics the cosmic cube is that's originally what the tesseract was going to be because the infinity war storyline was still in its infancy when captain america came out so this was originally going to be the cosmic cube and it was retconned later on to be the space stone <laughs> yeah do we want to talk about our experience with David Bradley, who we have actually met? Real quick, before we go forward. David Bradley's story. I love this story. It's hilarious. So we were at a convention, a a nerd convention. It was, I think, my first time. My first time ever. Yeah, that one was yours. We were, I, not, I mar it... we were not married. No. Were we just dating? We were just dating. And we were waiting in line to meet Sean Astin, who plays Samwise Gamgee in the Lord of the Rings movies, as well as other things, but it's the thing I knew him from growing up. I knew that the actor, David Bradley, who plays Argus Filch... In Harry Potter. In Harry Potter. And he was walking down a hallway... The, the con hallway where we were standing in line. And he had like four bodyguards around him. I panicked because I didn't know his name. I just knew him as like the janitor from Harry Potter. He was walking by and I panicked and I turned around and I looked at Matt and I said, what was his name again? What's the actor's name? And Matt goes, David Bradley. And I turned around and I said, David Bradley. But by the time I screamed it, he had made his way down the hallway and was standing literally directly in front of me. So I just screamed in this man's face, his own name. He surprisingly turns towards me and is like, yes. And I make eye contact with these four bodyguards 
they look like they don't know whether to run or like tackle me or whatever because I'm just this crazy person. <laughs> I panicked and I said, I love you. <laughs> to which he responds. <laughs> to which he responded. To which he responded. I love you too. And then he blew me a kiss as he was being literally like dragged away. He wasn't being but- <laughs> dragged away. He was being escorted. Quickly. <laughs> um, but that's our story. That My story and your story. You were there. But back to uh, Captain America. The importance of that is that David Bradley is playing a character that's hiding the Tesseract in this church. And... What's cool is where they find it, it's like this big door or this big wall, and it has the Idrisil, the world tree, and it's just such a cool tie-in to Thor, because we literally just discussed that movie. Yeah, there's a, there's major tie-ins with Johann Schmidt, because he's not obsessed, but he very much goes off of the mystical science of the Asgardians, because he knows that it's actually true, which... So do we, because we saw Thor. But it's funny because in that scene, while he's talking about it, he makes a comment that the Fuhrer is digging for trinkets in the desert, which I think is hilarious because I know that that's a reference to Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. So we're introduced to Hydra, uh, which we see the symbol of the octopus that has a skull head, which is their symbol. Yes. We see it on the vehicle that Johann Schmidt is driving. And we also see it on a pin that he wears that when he kills the caretaker because he's a jerk, blood actually splatters on his pin, but it only splatters on the skull of the Hydra symbol as a foreshadowing that Johann Schmidt is Red Skull. Another thing that I think is cool is that if you watch, since we just watched the Thor movie, you can actually see the Tesseract in Odin's treasure room. In that scene when Odin walks by with Thor and Loki, after the Jotuns have broken into Asgard. So Johann Schmidt calls the Tesseract the jewel of Odin's treasure room, which we see in Thor, but there's no way that that's the real Tesseract. It has to be a fake Tesseract in that Thor movie. I do know that we also see the uh, gauntlet, the Infinity Gauntlet, which that one we find out later on is fake in a rather humorous scene that we'll get to eventually. Which makes you think if the... Infinity Gauntlet was fake, and the Tesseract was fake. Is Odin's treasure room just full of fakes? Very possibly. Another thing that we see is that Schmidt adjusts his cheek several times. Like, it's like a thing throughout the movie where he's adjusting different parts of his face, which the first time I watched it, I didn't catch on to, but now that I know that he is Red Skull, this dude's just wearing a face. Like, that's not his real face because he's Red Skull underneath. But that's insane to me. I love how Marvel does the little tiny hints throughout their movie. And then once you rewatch them and you know, you're like, oh my goodness. It was there the whole time. Oh yeah. So then we are introduced to Steve Rogers, the golden boy of America. The tiny, tiny man who will not back down. No. Steve Rogers, who's trying to enlist in the United States military. And he is denied because he he has a very large list of health issues, including 
uh, asthma, scarlet fever, rheumatic fever, epilepsy, sinusitis, chronic or frequent colds, high blood pressure, heart palpitations, fatigue, heart trouble, nervousness, and then prior contact with a tuberculosis patient, family history of diabetes, cancer, and stroke. So, uh, the universe was not kind to this man, but he wanted to serve his country. Tuberculosis. Did I not say tuberculosis? You said tuberculosis. <laughs> Listen, I have issues sometimes. I mean, it sounds a little bit more like my dance style than a medical issue. Although, my dancing might be a medical issue. Oh, God. So basically, Steve goes to a movie theater, and during the movie, before the movie, there is an ad playing that's essentially like, join the war effort. Do all that you can. Even little Timmy here is doing what he can for the United States military. And a man actually heckles the ad in the theater, and Steve Rogers essentially turns around and is like, hey, shut up. And then that guy beats him to a pulp in the alleyway. Uh, he tries to beat him to a pulp. He doesn't quite get there. But he does beat Steve up in an alleyway. Yes, where we see that Steve does not back down, even in a fight that he has no chance of winning. We get to see a foreshadowing with the shield using the lid of a trash can as a shield. And we also get the origins of his catchphrase. I could do this all day. Yep, which we hear in every Captain America movie, I believe. We're also introduced to James Barnes in this movie, who is Bucky Barnes, part of the 107th. And we find out that he and Steve are friends, have been friends for a long time, and that Bucky Barnes is getting sent to England because he has successfully joined the U.S. military. And he's kind of leaving Steve behind, which is sad. Yeah, and we see how Bucky is kind of taking care of him for a long time. And then Bucky decides for his last hurrah, he wants uh, Steve to go to the World Exposition with him, the Stark Expo, which was the beginning of the Stark Expo in 1943. Yeah, we get to see the beginning of the Stark Expo that is in Iron Man 2, which is pretty cool. We also get to see, in the scene of the Stark Expo, a Human Torch Easter egg, because at one point there is on display a red outfit just on a mannequin that is the original costume of the human torch not the human torch of the fantastic four but an android known as the human torch which was the first superhero written for timely comics that later became marvel comics and then when the fantastic four was formed they took the name from the human torch and repurposed it and that character was later played by chris evans who plays Captain America in this movie. So it's kind of a cool little circle Easter egg that they did there. That is cool. We also get to see Howard Stark, which is Tony Stark's father. And we also see where Tony gets his ego from, because they are very similar. Yes. Howard is extremely charismatic, but very, very egotistical. We also get to see the beginnings of the repulsor ray technology in his... Floating car? Yeah, the floating car, I think he calls it reversion technology. We do get to see a better version of the floating car in two of Marvel's TV series, namely Agent Carter and in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Agent Coulson has a flying car called Lola. 
but then we also get to see that that technology gets perfected and ends up turning into the repulsor technology that Tony Stark uses for his Iron Man suit. Um, during this expo, though, Steve sees that there is a little building where people are enlisting for the military. All the times that he's applied in the past, after he got rejected the first time, I believe he lied about like where he lived and like different things like that, just so that maybe he could get in, which is a crime. But Steve goes to enlist at the expo and Bucky and he have a conversation where Bucky's essentially telling him, hey man, maybe it's time to give this up. Maybe this isn't what you're supposed to do. The statement is made when Bucky leaves. Steve says to Bucky, don't win the war till I get there, which is pretty funny later on. Captain America is a major turning point in the war. I believe there's also, uh, there. there's a line said here that is called back to later on where Bucky tells Steve not to do anything stupid while he's gone. And Steve responds, well, how can I? You're taking all the stupid with you. And I'm pretty sure that comes back later in another movie, but I don't remember which one. Dr. Abraham Erskine, he decides he's going to give Steve a chance and approves his enlistment, which is really cool. And we find out that Steve is actually from Brooklyn, New York. Yes, his actual place of origin. We also can't gloss over the fact that Dr. Erskine is played by Stanley Tucci, who apparently one of the reasons that he chose this role, like accepted the role, was because he wanted to practice using a German accent. And another thing that is said in that conversation, the initial conversation, when Erskine talks to Steve, he asks him why he joins. And Steve's response is, well, I don't like bullies, which I think helps you root for him as a hero. Because honestly, Steve Rogers doesn't have much to give character wise. Like what was it you were talking about the other day? Like when you write a book, you write the hero with nondescript features so that the reader can feel like they are the main character. Yeah, the hero's journey is typically written with a faceless hero it's there's a name for it based off of luke skywalker and i can't remember exactly what it is but it was done even before luke skywalker but it's basically when you're writing a story the side characters are more interesting than the main characters so that the reader or the observer can place themselves in the shoes of the hero i feel like that's this way with captain america a little bit there's there's not a whole lot that's shown of him but his personality is definitely like he's he's pure-hearted you know yeah so then we are put back with schmidt and dr zola who are trying to do some type of transference from the tesseract to power weapons yes and the introduction of arnim zola is actually really funny it's actually a reference to the comic book version of the character because in the comics arnim zola is Sort of an android. Basically, his brain has been inputted into a, or uploaded into a robotic body that does not have a head. It's just got his face on the chest. And when we first see him, we only see his face through this weird, distorted magnifying glass. So it's it's a pretty funny reference to that. That's cool. I also think it's important to note that throughout this whole entire movie, Schmidt is just using Hitler as a cover to fuel Hydra's goals because he makes a comment to some of the German scientists that come and are around. He says that the reason they're trying to make this transference of power from the Tesseract to the weapons is to change the tide of the war for, you know, Hitler, but it's not. It's to fuel Hydra. Yeah. Hydra starts as a science division of the Nazis, but 
Schmidt very much just goes away from the Nazi regime very, very quickly. And then after that scene, we are introduced to Agent Peggy Carter. So Steve has finally made it to basic training, and he is very small compared to all of the other big muscly dudes that have been put in the Strategic Scientific National Reserve for the chance to compete in the top of their class. They're basically trying to make a new breed of super soldier to kill Hitler. We also see that Agent Peggy Carter punches one of the <laughs> one of the trainees, I guess, one of the people they brought in because he makes a jerky comment towards her. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool that we get to see that Peggy really doesn't take any sass from anybody. So Tommy Lee Jones plays Colonel Phillips in this movie, and from the get-go, he does not like Steve. He thinks it's a waste of time, a waste of potential to try and train Steve. I think one of the coolest scenes that we see in the training that Steve receives is that they're running in formation and their drill sergeant is barking orders at them and he gives them the opportunity when they stop that whoever can climb the flagpole and get the flag, which no one's done in 17 years, can ride back with Agent Carter in the Jeep after they've, they're obviously all exhausted. And we see that Steve is at the very back of this. He's having trouble keeping up. So we see all these guys rush this flagpole. They're all jumping over one another trying to climb up this pole to get this flag and they all give up once they see that they can't do it and they all get back in formation. The drill sergeant's like, all right, come on, everybody, let's go. Nobody could get it. And Steve walks up to it and he just pulls the pin out of the bottom of the flagpole so that the flag topples over. The whole pole falls over. He unties the flag, folds it up, gets in the car with Agent Carter without saying anything. He does not even say a word. He just walks over and jumps in the vehicle and he's like, all right, let's go. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I think it's it's cool. They, they use just little, they don't directly say things about his personality. Like you see that, you know, the answer isn't always to just charge head on. And then after that, we also get a scene of Colonel Phillips and Dr. Erskine talking. Colonel Phillips is talking about how he doesn't like Rogers and he's, you know, too small and it's not going to work to to have him there. And Erskine's like, well, we've tried the big guys. Like, let's give the little guy a chance. And Colonel Phillips tosses a grenade into the group of recruits and everyone dodges out of the way except for Steve, who jumps on the grenade. And tries to save everybody. He says... He, like, specifically addresses Peggy because Agent Carter's just standing there. And he's like, go! Get out of here! And he, like, curls up in a ball over the grenade so that he takes the full impact of it. But it's cool because it shows that Steve is willing to make the sacrifice. And none of the other recruits were. He's he's just a good person. Right. And Colonel Phillips even makes a, a statement before he throws the grenade. He says, you win wars with guts, assuming that these big guys are going to prove his point for him. But in the end, Steve proves the point. He is the most selfless. Yeah. And he's he's got the guts. So in that in that scene, that that's the determining factor. They pick Steve for the super soldier program, and they don't even know if it's gonna work. So Erskine meets Steve in the bunker and offers him some alcohol, which he doesn't let him drink because <laughs> he has surgery tomorrow. And we find out that the doctor is from Osberg, and he used to be a researcher for Hydra for Hitler for the Nazis. Yeah, that was turned good, and now works with Howard Stark to start the super soldier project yeah and in that scene we get a a glimpse into erskine's personality and past and he says a a very poignant 
line where he says uh, a lot of people forget that the first country the Nazis invaded was their own. And he kind of, I think he mentions to Steve that, you know, he doesn't like bullies. He kind of brings that back just to show him like why he does what he does. But we also find out that before he defected to the US, he experimented on Schmidt, like Schmidt forced him to. But Erskine also mentions that his serum is designed to enhance whatever's inside. And in Schmidt, it was, it was bad and it turned him worse. Basically in a, in a good person in Steve, who we, they have shown is a good person, it turns them into something great. And that actually is from the the comics. The super soldier serum that is used on Steve in the comics is designed to enhance everything about the person so that he has super strength, but it actually enhances every part of his personality tenfold, which we see more in the comics than in the movies. Yeah. They also mention that Steve is not a perfect soldier, but he is a good man which yeah. is the important part. He's a good man. Yeah. We also then are placed back into a scene where Schmidt is essentially having his portrait painted, and we get little tiny glimpses of what Red Skull looks like before the final reveal in the at the end of the movie. We get little tiny, more of those little hints that his face isn't, you know, yeah, 100% his own face. Yeah. And then it's flashback to the scene with Steve. He's getting the serum done. Uh, Agent Carter is very concerned. Everyone thinks he's going to die. Everyone thinks he's going to die. Everybody thinks that he can't take it because he's a tiny man. Which, Chris Evans is not a tiny man. They CGI'd this man's body. Yeah, they kind of did a backwards of what people usually do with CGI. Usually they make you bigger, except in the case of Lord of the Rings. Right. They made people smaller. Chris Evans, basically, Steve Rogers, after the experiment, is just Chris Evans. Right. But beforehand, they actually had to film every shot at least four times. And for those of you that are, you know, like cinematography and all that, basically, they would shoot the scene normally, and then they would shoot it with just Chris Evans on a green screen. And then they would shoot it with everyone except for Chris Evans so that they could use CG to make him smaller, but then they would also shoot it a fourth time with his body double mm. in case they needed to use a second ver like a, a second way of making him smaller, which was super superimposing his face onto his body double. And depending on what the scene was determined how they did it. And we actually get to see his body double as a bartender later on in the movie. That's cool. We also see that <laughs> Brooklyn Antiques is a front for this lab. Howard Stark has created this place as a is a front for the lab. And we're also introduced to Senator Brandt and Fred Clemson, which Fred Clemson is a double agent. Yeah, we find out in not too long. But he's also played by Richard Armitage. Also, Stark is basically running this show. Like, this part, Stark is super in charge. Yeah, he's, he's the science guy. Howard Stark, the science guy. Stark, Stark, Stark. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> He's got the technology that is helping with Erskine's formula. Howard Stark explains that they're, they're using Vita rays and injecting the serum with micro injections. They start the process and they hear Steve screaming. And so they decide they're going to stop it. You hear Steve yell no, that he can take it. And the only reason they kept going is because Steve told them to. Yeah, from 
inside his Halo Cryo 2 pod looking thing. Yes. The, the, the pod reminds me of Halo. Yeah. When Steve Rogers comes out of this this tube thing. This Halo pod. This Halo pod. <laughs> it's like, this is like the scene from this movie is the, the doors opening and then Chris Evans sitting there completely ripped. There are little beads of sweat all over this man's body. He's like tanned and beautiful. What were once pants on him are now shorter than capris. Right. And so he steps out of the chamber and we see a scene where Agent Peggy Carter walks up to him and she just, she very lightly touches his chest. And that was a genuine reaction, apparently. Yeah. That was not like a thing she, she wasn't acting that woman was just overwhelmed by Chris Evans' body. Yeah, I guess, I guess that was the first time that Haley Atwell had seen Chris Evans without his shirt on. She just reached out and touched him. Once uh, we find out that the serum, it works, Fred Clemson, a.k.a. Double Agent Spy Man, steals the serum, shoots Dr. Erskine, and flees. Which is real sad, because I really liked Stanley Tucci. And so then Steve takes off to go get this serum back. We find out that Peggy is a great shot. Yes. She shoots a man while he's driving away from her through a windshield in yep. the head. Yes. She's a very good shot. But Steve comes through and saves her from being run over by Clemson because she was just going to stand there and continue shooting at him. And then runs through, through the streets of New York barefoot, which fun fact here, in that scene, Chris Evans was not actually barefoot. He was wearing boots that were painted to look like feet. I don't suggest looking it up. It's a horrifying <laughs> thing to see. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it's 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 freaky. We also see that while they're running through the streets, at, at one point, he stops the vehicle that Clemson's trying to escape in. He uses a door from the car as a shield, which is cool. And the logo, it's from a taxi, and the logo, it's called like Lone Star something or another, and the logo is a circle around a star. So they really like foreshadowing that Captain America is going to get his shield in this movie. Right. So we see Steve still chasing Clemson, and Clemson steals a child <laughs> from some random lady and is walking backwards, has a gun to this kid's head, and ends up just yeeting this kid into the water. And Steve Rogers is like, no, I have to save the kid. <laughs> and he runs over, and the kid pops his head out of the water, and he goes, I can swim! Go get him! <laughs> I love that kid. That kid's great. And then we see that Clemson is escaping in a Hydra submarine, and Captain America gets him, pulls him out of the submarine, and we are met with the famous Hydra slogan. Cut off one head, two more shall take its place. And he bites into one of those like little like arsenic pill things where it kills him immediately. Cyanide tooth. Cyanide tooth. He yeah. bites into it. He says, Hail Hydra, and dies. And we also see that... The serum that he was able to get, the tube that it was in broke, and so that serum is lost. And so because of that, they end up taking some of Steve's blood to try and recreate the serum because Erskine is dead. It was his serum, so he can't make any more. And they wanted an army of these super soldiers. And they just got Steve. And they just got Steve. But because of 
his blood being drawn. It's actually revealed in Agent Carter that they use a lot of the blood that was drawn and still aren't able to come up with the serum, but that's in like 1947, they've used most of it by then, but enough of it survives that versions of the super soldier serum are able to be used later on. And that is actually what leads to Abomination being created in The Incredible Hulk. That's cool. Good tie-in. Lots yeah. of tie-ins from these movies. Um, we also see that the Red Skull goes rogue. He kills the Nazis that come to check up on him to see how his research is going. Literally obliterates them into ash. We don't need Thanos for that. Nah, just get Red Skull with some Tesseract-powered weapons. And he goes into exile. We keep getting these little jump back, these cuts back and forth between what's happening with Red Skull and then what's happening with Steve. Yeah, and when we go back to Steve, we see that... Colonel Phillips does not want to use him to actually fight the Nazis, but Senator Brandt decides to use him as sort of a spokesperson for selling war bonds. We also see that Stark, Carter, and the Colonel go to London to prep to fight Hydra, and that's when they kind of go their separate ways, because Steve wants to go with them, but Colonel Phillips said no. Um, so his options are go do this thing for the senator and actually try and serve my country in some way or get stuck in a lab. Yeah, be a lab rat yeah. for a long time. So he decides to go be a spokesperson. He literally makes him Captain America. He gives him the name Captain yep. America. But because of him becoming Captain America, we actually get to see that they are making comics of him. And the comics that are shown in this movie are the first, the actual first issue of Captain America. It is the same cover and everything. It's, it's the actual one. The one of him hitting Hitler in the face? Punching Hitler in the face, yes. So it's kind of funny that the movie was based off of the comics, but like in the real world, the movie's based off of the comics, but in the movie, the comics are based off of real life. Right. We also get like this montage of Steve at first being really hesitant to fully step into the role as Captain America, like to put on this show for these people because he feels like he's not doing what he was meant to do. But eventually he gets in the swing of things and starts getting in line with the chorus girls, knocking out the fake Hitler every time they do their little song and dance. And fast forward to him being sent to the front lines of the military. He's not just performing for people to buy war bonds. He's now being sent and he's doing a show for these actual soldiers who boo him off stage and tell him to bring back the girls. <laughs> yeah. And after this, we see him drawing pictures of himself as a performing monkey because he kind of realizes that that's pretty much all he is. He's not really, not really helping. And it's actually, that's kind of cool because the character in the comics of Steve Rogers is actually a really good artist. He actually wins an art award in the comics. So it's cool that we get to see him using some of that artistic ability. Yes. We also find out in this scene while he's actually on the front line with these soldiers performing that the 10- somebody mentions that the 107th was captured, which we know is Bucky's unit. So Captain America, Steve Rogers, he knows that he has to help his friend. He has the means to, he has the ability, he's going to help. Even if that means he's breaking all of the rules. I mean, so I think it's Agent Carter and Howard Stark help him infiltrate German occupied space yes. to retrieve the 107th that has been captured by Hydra. Yeah, and in the scene where they're where they're taking him, he kind of misinterprets 
the relationship between Agent Carter and Howard Stark. He doesn't know what fondue is, which leads to some, some major awkwardness between the three of them. Yeah, but Tony is just like his father. His father was a flirt. Yes, absolutely. And even though Agent Carter was not interested, he was still a flirt. Yep. But yeah, Steve ends up getting to the Hydra plant where Bucky is captured, as well as the rest of the 107th and a bunch of other guys. And Steve frees all of them and goes to get Bucky. And we are introduced to several characters who will end up being the Howling Commandos, just a little bit further in the movie. But they are a group from the comics. And I actually just recently found out that one of those characters in the movie is not a member of the Howling Commandos from the comics. I don't remember his full name, but the Brit is actually Union Jack, a superhero from the comics, who is part of a different superhero group that, that included at one point the Winter Soldier and Captain America. But they they like to, they're pulling in characters from the comics for it. And the, the Howling Commandos are, are pretty cool. Which uh, they're still afraid to name drop them. They don't they, call them. Yeah, that. they never call them the Howling Commandos. They do have Dugan, played by Dominique Cooper, does yell wahoo when they are stealing the tank after they escape. And that is the catchphrase of the Howling Commandos. But they, they never actually call them Howling Commandos because they, they still don't quite like to name drop things. And in that vein, Red Skull is actually only referred to as Red Skull one time. And it is by one of the Nazis that come to check on him that he ends up killing. To go back to when when Captain America, when he breaks into the Hydra base and rescues everybody, we see Bucky. Because after he breaks all these people out, Bucky's not with them. And that's really the only person he came for. So he runs down this hallway and he sees Dr. Zola leaving a room with a briefcase in a hurry, running away. Steve does not chase him. Steve runs down to the room that he was in and he finds Bucky strapped to a torture chair. And it's implied that he was tortured, which you had a realization about this. When this when we watched this movie together this time, you had a realization. Please share with the class. I felt so stupid. I had not realized until this watching of the movie that Dr. Zola was experimenting on Bucky, trying to recreate the super soldier serum from Erskine that was used on Red Skull. He has the same access to super soldier blood that the Americans do from Cap. He's got it from Schmidt. So he was experimenting on Bucky. That experimentation was how Bucky was able to survive later on. I had never put together the fact that he was experimenting on him. Yeah, he falls out of a train into a snowy ravine, like hundreds of feet. Yeah. Normal human couldn't survive that, even into snow. I never really thought about how he survived or anything like that until this watch through when I was actually looking for things like that. And I just went, wait a minute. The Red Skull effects, when he's finally revealed, like he, he reveals himself as Red Skull and takes off the Schmidt mask. Those effects are really good. Yeah. While Captain America saves Bucky and the 107th and he basically is like cause chaos and you know all the american soldiers are getting a hold of the tanks that are powered with like <laughs> the tesseract weaponry and they're just it's just a battlefield outside of this facility and while that's happening 
Captain America blows up this facility and it's coming down around them. There's fire everywhere. Things are falling and exploding. And you get this scene of them standing across this vast expanse of fire, standing on two separate sides. Bucky and Steve Rogers versus Red Skull and Dr. Zola. And that's when he reveals that he is Red Skull. He takes off the fake face. It's just a cool scene. It really is. Seeing the the two sides of what the super serum could have become. Yes. It made it made a good man great, but it made a terrible man so much worse. Yeah. It's just a it's it's an interesting effect instead of just going, yeah, it makes you stronger. It's it makes you more of what you are. So it's two sides of the same coin based on your morals and where you stand on things. Yeah. They return back to the base camp. Out of the distance, there is a commotion, and it is Steve Rogers returning with, with everyone. Yeah. With And with the Tesseract weaponry. They have tanks. They have the cool new Tesseract guns, and Steve did it. Yeah. And so because of that, Howard is able to experiment on the Tesseract weaponry. And in the meantime, back in the States... Senator Brands is going to award Captain America with an award, and we get to see the Stanley cameo, where he is one of the generals there at the at the ceremony. And when somebody comes out to let them know that Cap isn't there, he makes a comment that he think he thought he would be taller, which is actually pretty funny uh, talking about Captain America's height because in this movie, very obviously, Captain America is taller than Bucky, when in fact Chris Evans and Sebastian Stan are the same height. They're both six foot and because of that basically in a lot of scenes where they had to mess with heights and things they would have characters stand on like apple boxes and things like that to change heights the only thing that they did to affect the height of chris evans and sebastian stan was just camera angles that's awesome though yeah it's uh it, it's kind of cool that they use different methods for different times but instead of captain america being at his award ceremony he is busy taking out hydroplanes because he was able to see locations on the map at that first one that he went to of where different hydro labs are at and so he's going through and clearing them with bucky and the Helen Commandos. He basically is able to convince Colonel Phillips to let him take a small team and go wipe them out. And so they work on that, and Red Skull is not happy about it. Being frustrated that all of his plants are being, you know, their supplies cut off or blown up. Yeah. Before the sequence of him taking down the factories, we get to see Natalie Dormer from Game of Thrones playing just a random blonde lady random blonde lady who kisses him and makes things awkward for uh, him and peggy so we find out that they made him a new suit made out of carbon polymer and he picks the vibranium shield which they said was just a prototype they mentioned that that's the only one like it they only had a small amount of vibranium that's it the shield prototype that he picked which ends up being his shield and peggy then proceeds to shoot at him because she's still mad because she just saw a blonde woman kiss him and peggy thought they were more than friends yes and after she shoots the shield which is bulletproof thankfully he talks to stark talks to howard stark about it and finds out that fondue is just melted cheese and he starts to realize that oh well maybe i made a mistake then with peggy also about the shield, in the movie, in the MCU, it is made of vibranium. But yeah, in the comics, it is made of vibranium and adamantium, which because this movie came out while Fox still had the rights to the X-Men universe, 
and basically everything having to do with X-Men, which Wolverine's skeleton is made of adamantium, making adamantium more of an X-Men thing. The shield is only made of vibranium in the MCU. And then we see him go through his montage of going after all the warehouses. We also see that Bucky is really good with a sniper rifle. Yeah! There's like one shot of it, like one scene where he takes out a, a Hydra a soldier with a sniper rifle. In the process of taking down all these all these warehouses, they find the location of Dr. Zola. Uh, they find out that he's going to be on a train in the snowy mountains, and he gets the Howling Commandos together for an ambush. And when they do zip line onto this train and finally are able to go, it ends up being Bucky, Captain America, and one other person. Uh, Jones. Jones. Yeah. We find out after they infiltrate the cargo holds of this train that it is a trap. Steve and Bucky get separated, and Bucky ends up picking up the shield. Yeah, uh, throughout the course of that, that fight, they end up getting back together, and the shield gets shot off of Cap's arm, and Bucky ends up picking it up. Because in the, in, in the comics, Steve Rogers is not the only person who has been Captain America. There have been, I think, a total of 12 people that have taken on the mantle of Captain America. That list includes Bucky. So It's just a little teaser. Yeah, that was like an Easter egg of like Marvel saying, hey, are we gonna go this route? Who knows? Even this early on, it's kinda it's kinda fun. We then see Bucky unfortunately fall off of this train. Somebody blows a hole in the side of this train and Bucky falls to his death. Um, Question mark? Question mark. But as far as we know, Bucky falls to his death and Dr. Zola gets captured. Yes. And tells the location after intense uh, torture. <laughs> <laughs> after Colonel Phillips walks in and eats a steak while casually negotiating this man into a corner. Colonel Phillips is... He doesn't play. He, he is smooth. <laughs> So he learns the location of Red Skull. And we get the, the final sequence of the movie, which is them invading this factory. It ends up being Cap getting onto the, the plane. Like, the, the plane is taking off, and it's huge. I guess a lot of, or some of the Hydra vehicles in this movie are actually based off of actual Nazi designs. Hmm. So that's pretty cool. But yeah, the Valkyrie takes off. And Colonel Phillips and Peggy Carter pick up Cap in Schmidt's car, which that car was actually custom built for the movie. Really? Using a modified truck chassis. And there's actually a scene, very quick scene, where they're trying to catch up with the Valkyrie in the car. And Colonel Phillips presses a red button that ends up being like turbocharging the car, which I think might be a reference to Men in Black. Because Tommy Lee Jones was the older agent to Will Smith in those movies. Yes, and there there is a in the first movie he tells him not to not to press the red button in the car and you find out later on that it is The Turbo Boost. Yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. I think that might have been a reference to that, but I, I like how they do that every once in a while. Yeah. But they're able to get Captain America onto the Valkyrie and he ends up fighting several Hydra pilots both on the Valkyrie and on one of the bomb pod plane things. Which he is able to blow up. He's, he, I think two of them, he's able to get one of them like ejected from it. And then the other one, he's able to get into it. Yeah, he flies it back into the Valkyrie. Yeah. But it doesn't blow up. He j- literally just flies it back. 
and rams it into the edge so that he can get back on the plane. Yeah, and then he goes and has a showdown with Johann Schmidt. Johann Schmidt decides he's going to grab the Tesseract with his hands, which up until this point, you know, they've been handling it with machinery. And he basically says that he wants to become a god. Yeah. And he grabs the Tesseract, which we now know is the Space Stone, and it just sends him into space. We just see a blip that opens up into a galaxy, and then bloop, he's gone. Yeah, which, first time watching this, I thought he just died. I thought it killed him. Later on, going back and watching it, you realize that it teleports him into space somewhere, and it actually looks kind of like the Bifrost when it does it. So that's kind of cool. Like, that's even more of a hint that, hey, he was teleported, but we don't find out where for... A very long time. Just so long. And because the Tesseract is now, you know, fallen, because Johan grabbed it and he dropped it. And, and it, it burns its way through the hull of the ship. And drops into the ocean somewhere. Not the ship, the plane. Sorry. Yeah, it, it goes, you see it melting the steel, essentially, yeah. as it falls. And then it falls right through the bottom of the plane into the ocean. And we find out that the plane needs to be put somewhere because the missiles are armed. And there's no way to unarm them. And Steve is the only one here. And the, the autopilot was destroyed. Then we listen to the heartbreaking uh, conversation between Peggy and Steve. Where Peggy is essentially begging him not to do this and steve's like i gotta put her down somewhere and i'm not gonna let the united states blow up they basically have a conversation about going on a date yeah because throughout the movie even before he has the experiment done they talk about how he never really goes dancing because he's never had the right partner and that's kind of a, a thing between the two of them throughout the movie is that you know they talk a lot about going dancing and they make they make a, a date for the next Saturday to go dancing at this specific club somewhere. Yeah. And the the ship goes down while Steve is saying that, you know, he doesn't want to step on Peggy's feet. And it's just, oof. It's very heartbreaking. It, and also in that scene, Colonel Phillips is present for the start of it between Agent Carter and Steve when they start talking. And then the colonel realizes what is about to happen. He realizes that Steve is about to die. And... The colonel, you can see him in the background of this scene. He ushers everyone out of the room. He's watched this whole thing unfold between Agent Carter and Steve. Yeah. So he's not stupid. He knows that they have feelings for each other. That scene is so... It's so well done. And then we see the plane and that it has broken into a bunch of different parts. Yeah. And he crashed it in the middle of nowhere in the Arctic. Yeah. And we also see Howard Stark searching for him. Finding the Tesseract. In the ocean, yeah. We get a scene of like a submarine arm, kind of like the submarine that found the Titanic, that reaches out, grabs the Tesseract, and so, you know, they have the Tesseract. Somebody makes a comment in that scene, oh, well, we found the Tesseract, and Stark has calculated how far the plane crash should have been, and so he's like, we found it, let's go this far to see if we can find the plane, but they're unable to find it. Yeah, he's, he's having them, like, check quadrants and just, like section by section of the ocean he's searching so hard to find him like it's it's really cool that we see that howard stark yeah he's a flirt and he's egotistical but like he really cared about this guy too and it's actually a cool tie-in of him finding it because in iron man 2 amongst the paperwork and stuff that tony goes through of his dad's 
there is a diagram of the Tesseract back when it was supposed to be the Cosmic Cube, but it's still the Tesseract in amongst all of the the stuff. So it's because Howard had it that that happened. So it's that's another tie-in to one of the movies, which is pretty cool. We also see, it's kind of like a flashback to modern day at this point. So we've seen what happened and now we're back in present time where they've just found him in ice and we see him wake up in a hospital bed. But it looks like he's still back in the World War II era. And this nurse comes in and there's a baseball game playing on the radio and everything seemingly looks like he's back. Immediately, he realizes that something's wrong because he was there on the day of that baseball game that's playing over the radio. Yep. I also saw a Pinterest post where they broke down why he probably also knew that the lady that came in, the nurse that came in, was not of the time because the outfit that she was wearing, she was wearing a normal like t-shirt bra and back then they would have had the cone bras. And her hair was down. And her hair was down. Yes. There were like little tiny minuscule details that at the time Steve would have known. Yeah, that is that is really cool. And so basically Steve breaks out of this like set room like on on the set of a movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, that's essentially what it looks like. I don't know why they didn't have more guards there. There were only like two guards guarding this room. Why would you only put two guards on a room with a man that has superhuman strength? But basically, S.H.I.E.L.D. was trying to ease Captain Rogers back into modern day life. But, you know, Steve knew. He busted out of that place and starts running through the streets of modern day New York. That's got, that's a culture shock right there. Right. And then we see all these police cars come out of nowhere, these black vans pull up, and we see Nick Fury get out. And he informs... Captain America, that he's been asleep for 70 years. Steve kind of gets a a look on his face and is looking around. And uh, I think Fury asks him if he's all right. And his response is, I had a date. In the midst of all this culture shock, his mind is still only on Peggy. Yes. Yeah. It's a... I think that may be like one of the best things about this movie is that that relationship between Steve and Peggy is so well done, but it's, it's not overwhelming either, but it, it's still, it's still there enough to show that that is one of his main motivations. Yeah. And then we have the after credit scene. It's no like snippet into what's going on. It's literally just a trailer for the Avenger movie. And at the very end, the words, some assembly required come on the screen, which was cool, but it definitely was like, yes, they're doing an Avengers movie. Yeah, but it was also weird because it kind of broke from the tradition that they had set. It broke from the precedent of having an after credit scene. Like, yeah, it was an after credit scene, but it was just a trailer. It didn't really... Add anything to the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Yeah. I just remembered something that I did want to add earlier on. Just that Sebastian Stan based his character on, like, old war movies and TV shows, including Band of Brothers and... Dominique Cooper, who plays Dugan in Captain America, was actually in Band of Brothers. First off, um, Chris Evans declined the role of Captain America three times because he was afraid of the... The Marvel movies were gaining traction at that point. He was afraid of a loss of privacy. They offered it to him three times, and he said no three times, and then on the fourth time, he accepted it. Because Robert Downey Jr. and Kevin Feige 
convinced him. Before they decided on Chris Evans, Sam Worthington and Will Smith were in early talks for the role of Captain America, and also on the very short list of people that, that made it kind of to that final cut uh, were Garrett Hedlund, Channing Tatum, Scott Porter, Mike Vogel, Sebastian Stan, who plays Bucky, uh, Wilson Bethel, John Krasinski, Michael Cassidy, Chase Crawford, Jensen Ackles from Supernatural, Kellen Lutz, Ryan Philippe, and Alexander Skarsgård, who plays the clown on it, Pennywise. So as a movie, what would you rate this? It was a, in my opinion, it was a good movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. It's not a great movie, but it's a good movie. It's a feel-good movie. It is a feel-good movie for sure. That storyline is really well written, and the, the acting is pretty good as well. As a movie, I'm thinking 7.5. Yes, we're on was, the same page. I was going to say like a 7.5. Yeah, 7.5. I agree with you on that rating. It's one of the better ones we've watched. Yeah. And then as a superhero movie. I, I don't believe that the perfect movie exists, so I will never say 10 out of 10 on any of these movies. There are some that come close. I'm going to go with a nine on this one, though. I was going to say eight, so higher. It's a good superhero movie. It is. It really is. Because Captain America is a good superhero. which And it's cool because in this one, it's very much patriotism, you know, Captain America. But in later movies, we see Captain America is still a good superhero, even when he doesn't believe in what America's doing. Firstly, on our, on our outro, talking about our intro and our outro... Special thanks to Mikhail Biro. One of these days, I'm going to say that with certainty that I'm saying it correctly, pronouncing it correctly. Or just accept the fact that we've been saying it wrong this whole time. Yeah. For the use of our theme song, uh, you can find all of his stuff on YouTube, and we've got a link in the episode description. Also in that episode description, we have got links to our Twitter and Instagram. We post all of our updates for the episodes on Instagram and Twitter. So yeah. To keep up with us, you should definitely follow us there. And we just wanted to give a shout out to you guys. You have been wonderful. Thank you guys so much for listening. You've made this an absolutely wonderful experience. Something that we have not mentioned up until this point, our next episode will be The Avengers, which releases on April 18th. Something important to note. After that episode, this is an important note. If you don't listen to anything else in this episode... Please listen to this point at the end of the episode. If, if you do not sit through the entirety of this episode, <laughs> please skip to this point in the episode. As podcasts do, we will be taking a break after this next episode because the Avengers episode will end phase one of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it will also end season one of the Marvelous Duo. Yes, we will be taking a short break and we will keep you updated on Instagram and Twitter. We'll be using this time to prepare for the second phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We just wanted to say thank you for your patience while we take this break to kind of refresh, get some new perspectives. If you have any feedback, make sure you let us know. Slide into our DMs. So thank you guys so much for listening, and you guys have a marvelous day. Bye.